Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. Welcome into Soccer Morning ahead of your international weekend. MLS on the docket as well. Lots of talking points out there in the world of American soccer, international soccer, world soccer. That's why we're here. That's why we show up every weekday at 10 o'clock. It is 10 o'clock, right? And check my watch that I don't wear. Big show for you today. A plenty of time to take your phone calls, get your thoughts. I think figure Friday's a good day to take stock of how you feel about everything that's happened over the course of the last week. All of uh, the USA losing to, to Denmark. Nicholas Bettner with a hat trick. Questions about Jurgen Klinsmann. We've covered some of this stuff, but I'm going to give you ample time to have your say today. We are going to talk to John Arnold from Goal. About CONCACAF, we'll go around CONCACAF. You've got Honduras losing the first leg of that playoff series against French Guiana. you got Mexico getting ready for both the Gold Cup and Copa America as they take on Ecuador and L.A. You've got United States coming up against Switzerland. Sure, John has some thoughts on that as well. Lots of things to cover with John. That should be a good discussion. It's either going to be 10.30 or 10.40. We're waiting on him. Uh, uh, really, John? I mean... You can just make us wait around for you because, what, you're crossing a border somewhere? The intrepid John Arnold. Good stuff there. Uh, make sure you take down the phone number for later use, 347-756-6276. After we get done with the headlines, we will dive straight into your phone calls and your tweets. You can hit us up at Soccer Morning with any thoughts or concerns. i got a couple of things lined up already from people getting ahead of the game. Some comments by Eric Stover over at Reddit during uh, during an AMA that are rather interesting. Some things related to that that topic that I teased a little bit in the aftermath of the Minnesota expansion announcement about the MLS versus NASL dynamic. Now, we can sort of flesh that out. I commented on the passive-aggressive nature of both the NASL comments in light of Minnesota United FC leaving for MLS in a couple of years and MLS Don Garber specifically at the dais there at target field saying things like Minnesota United is going to a higher level. I don't want to turn this into a war. I don't think it should be a war. We, we, we will talk about this. I have some further thoughts. We've got tons of time today. It should be an excellent show. Let's do your headlines. If you wondered if Xavi would be heading to NYCFC, perhaps you were disappointed to hear Jason Christ say, oh, we, we're not sure we need him. Now, there's a possibility there was a grain of truth to Jason Christ's comments, that there are questions about whether or not Xavi would fit into that team, especially if, if he arrived at some point during the summer when they've already established who they are and what they're doing. But come on, it's Xavi. And that's what I said yesterday. It's Xavi. But words out today, reports out of Spain are that Xavi may not be headed to the United States at all. He may be headed to Cutter, he may be signing with Qatar, uh, Qatari club Al Saad for three seasons. So uh, with Raul leaving, that's the former club of Raul. So Xavi is a direct replacement for Raul there at Al Saad. New York City FC coach Jason Christ called Xavi one of the best players in the world, but admitted he was unsure how he would fit in at the club if he were to make an offer. 
When you think about a player like Xavi Hernandez, for me, the best play, one of the best players in the world, a big, big fan of his, you say to yourself on one side, there's no doubt a player like that would be great at New York City. But when you look at it from another point of view, and when you say, and you say you only get three designated players, and we've already got another one that plays in the midfield, and you've got a third one in David Villa, whose rel- all relative age are getting up there, you start to think maybe not. He said he was on the fence. Now, I think this might be some some information manipulation on the part of Jason Christ, but it's, look, it, it, Xavi, is he worth the money that El Saad's going to pay him? Well, he is to El Saad. Is he worth that money to NYCFC? I think there is an open question there. But I, and tre- uh, Trevor's on the record, told me this morning, he's kind of glad that Xavi's not going to come. Maybe that's the way, better way to look at it. Again, every time MLS signs one of these aging European stars, of course, the retirement league label is going to be slapped on the league. That's uh, that's something to get out, difficult to get out from under. Brazil down France three one in a friendly yesterday. Neymar starring, of course, for the Brazilian side. Oscar uh, playing well as well. The Brazilians continued a perfect record under Dunga in his second spell. As head coach, they came from behind to win this game. And this was at the Stade de France. They've won six of seven under Dunga after that crushing defeat at the hands of the Germans in the, in the Brazilian World Cup last year. So, uh, that's a, a big win for Brazil. I don't know if this is a set, it's not a setback necessarily for France, although, and then they'll still be one of the favorites. They're hosting the Euros next year, for crap's sake. With all of the talent they have available, everything that Didier Deschamps has, I'm sorry, not Didier Deschamps, my fault. I'm getting my, my uh, French managers mixed up. Oh, no, he is in charge over there, right? <laughs> Can't keep them, because every time there's a crisis, they've got to change managers. Every time France goes through another of their mutinies, They've got to change managers. Catching up for the, the, via the uh, match report here this morning. Not a game I was able to watch. Luis Suarez says he was traded, treated worse than a hooligan by FIFA after his World Cup biting incident on Chiellini. Now, I, I, Luis, dude, seriously, this is not the first time it's happened. This is not the second time. It's, this is the third time that you have been caught biting somebody 99.999 percent of professional players go through their entire career with zero biting incidents for you to have a third and then complain about your treatment man that's some chutzpah the 28 uh, 28 year old apologized to Chiellini admitted his behavior was wrong and said he had undergone counseling to help him control his temper but however, in, in this interview with Kicker, he said, a ban is one thing, but I could not even train. At the start, I was being treated th- worse than if I were a hooligan. On holidays, I was afraid to go see my nephews playing for a youth team in Uruguay. The ban said I could not even step onto a football pitch, something I still do not understand today. I get it. Every time you step on a football pitch, you're in danger to bite somebody. Don't do the, don't do the crime if you can't do the time, Luis. I mean, just just ridiculous out of Luis Suarez. He's enjoying his time at Barcelona. He's helping them chase down a, a La Liga title deep into the Champions League as always. Playing well. 
scoring goals against Real Madrid. You can't can't fault the guy's talent, but come on. Behavior? Unbelievable. Bunch of matches coming up this weekend. You've got some uh, European qualifiers and some friendlies. Spain, Ukraine, and England, Lithuania, I suppose, are the headliners today. Neither one of those games is overly exciting. But you do have some soccer to watch today if you know where to find it. Also in Europe, Macedonia, Belarus, Slovakia, and Luxembourg, Slovenia, and San Marino. That's good stuff there with the minnow. Switzerland and Estonia. Remember, the United States plays Switzerland in a friendly next week. Spain goes on to play Netherlands on Tuesday. So you got a bunch of friendlies coming up next week. Liechtenstein, Austria, Moldova, Sweden, Montenegro, and Russia in Europe. All qualifiers. Uh, obviously, the uh, MLS weekend coming up as well. Toronto FC and Real Salt Lake would be a, a good headlining game, except so many players are going to be missing from that that it's hard to know if it's even going to be worth it. I'll watch it because I'm a junkie like that. But I'm sure some people will be turned off by the fact that there's no Michael Bradley, there's no Josie Altador, no Alvaro Sabarillo. Lots of guys missing from that match in uh, Orlando going through a really difficult stretch here with injuries, international call-ups. As they uh, go into a weekend where they are on the road in Montreal. New York City uh, FC and Sporting at Yankee Stadium, second game there. That's certainly worth watching. D.C. United, home to L.A. I'm still fascinated to see how L.A. works out their midfield situation ahead of Steven Gerrard arriving in the summer. What is, what's the bridge to Gerrard? Is it Baggio Husidic? He's not Marcelo Sarvis. That's pretty clear. Can L.A. be as effective with no Landon Donovan and a, a secondary option in a midfield next to Janinho? Also on the schedule, Vancouver hosting Portland, Cascadia again there, Houston and Colorado, Dallas, who uh, right now best team in the league, Dallas, hosting Seattle. Seattle's uh, Seattle's missing uh, some of their best uh, as well. All right. Good time to take a break, reset, get the phone lines open. If you want to jump in, we could talk USA. We could talk Klinsman. I've got some stories about him at Bayern Munich that we can tell. We can talk uh, NASL, MLS, expansion, whatever you want. It's your show. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Soccer Morning brought to you by WorldSoccerTalk.com. The best way to watch the greatest players in the world, including Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, Zlatan, and Pogba, is on Dishworld's exclusive broadcast of BN Sports. Dishworld is the number one live international TV service in the U.S. It's a safe and legal streaming service that delivers your favorite sports and more to your TV, tablet, phone, and computer. For just $10 a month, you can watch La Liga, Serie A, and Copa America, as well as the New York Cosmos, Chelsea TV, Arsenal TV, and others with One World Sports and more top networks offered by Dishworld. There's no commitment, no annual contract, and no satellite dish needed. Don't miss the best leagues in the world on Dishworld. Sign up today at www.dishworld.com. Dishworld.com. 
Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go back on Soccer Morning. Phone lines open 347-756-6276. Seems we are on schedule to grab John Arnold from goal in about 17 minutes to talk some CONCACAF. We'll do a an around-the-region type of wrap-up with CONCACAF John. Yes, that's what I call him, CONCACAF John. He is also a uh, panelist, occasionally, the the CONCACAF expert on the World Football Phone-In on the BBC, which is uh, an excellent program. I haven't listened to it in a while, but I need to get back on, to get that back into my rotation. Not as good as this show. I mean, come on. We're not, we're not going to be crazy about this. <laughs> I mean, much, much longer history over there at, at BBC's World Football Phone-In. So uh, jump on in here, 347-756-6276. Like I said, we can certainly talk, uh, continue to talk about Jurgen Klinsmann and his time in charge of the U.S. men's national team. How do you feel going into the Gold Cup? Uh, it, it's You want to build some momentum. I'd like to see a, a, a stable roster of players that Klinsmann knows he can rely on. I'd like to see some progress on that front. Vincent Toronto, what's up? Hey, Jason, how's it going? Uh, it's, it's going. What's up, Vince? Hey, uh, you know, uh, you, you can't forget in today's slate of games, Canada faces Guatemala. You know, I saw that, and I didn't mention it, and I should have. I apologize. Yes. Canada, uh, I, I, Guatemala. I see how it is. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean. Well, it's, it's not even, even going to be televised, and, you know, that's Canada for you. Where, uh, where is this game? I don't even game? think our second friendly is going to be televised either. Where is that game going to be? Uh, in Fort Lauderdale, I believe. Oh, so it's, an, it's a non-televised game in Fort Lauderdale. Was that at uh, the place where the Strikers play? I was imagining. Uh, what is it? Lockhart Stadium? Yes. The, the old uh, yes. Lockhart. Miami uh, place? Yeah. I, I do have it here. Lockhart Stadium at 430. No television <clears throat> coverage. That's going to be really frustrating, Vince. I mean, beyond frustrating. If I if the United States was playing a game and I couldn't see it, I would be I would go bonkers. Yeah, it is. It's 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 ridiculously frustrating. But uh, you know, fr- frustration and Canadian soccer fan, uh, they're synonyms. <laughs> so you know, they are. Are right, they are? Um, what else is on your mind this weekend? Uh, you know, before I, I want to I want to talk Klinsman with you and get get you know the the Canadian perspective on him. I just want to mention. Uh, Shout out to uh, to to Ottawa who just signed uh, Julian de Guzman. So I uh, saw that, and for the first time ever, uh, for the first time in a while, our current Canada roster, uh, all the players have clubs. So that that progress. Yay! I need a I need like an applause button here, Vince. Yeah, no unattached FC happening up there in Canada right now. That's good. Yeah, very good. Um, so on to Klinsman, uh, Jason. You know, I will say uh, for for us, boring as Canada is, Floro has given us an identity to play with. A very, very, very organized, uh, very pragmatic, I suppose, uh, controlled uh, possession in the midfield and and playing out of the back. Uh, we don't have anything at the front to play to, so you know, it's mainly you know from the back <laughs> to the midfield and back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. Um, but so- with Klinsman, uh, like. I I still don't get it. Like I look at it as being a a mutation of like Bob Bradley's team, but he doesn't want to admit that it's Bob Bradley's team. Like you know, if if when Clinton goes home and his wife's like, "Hey, you know, Jurgen, your team's playing a bit like Bradley," he'd be like, "Do not say that," and and and, you know, he'll he'll like be all angry because how dare they compare his team to Bob Bradley's? 
But that's what I see. I see a team that's very nervous when they have the ball at certain points. Uh, maybe that's simply a nature of, of, you know, the teams that they're facing, whether it was Columbia or uh, maybe a team that, that perhaps at times does seem overworked. And then, you know, we, we, you can get into that and, and, you know, what Klinsman believes in, in proper fitness for his players. But Klinsman's, uh, Klinsman's preaching something, but then he's practicing something else completely. That's I know. basically what I, I know, I and that's why we're all confused here. And in fact, I saw something, this is to that point. Vince, I'm going to let you go because I've got a bunch of people jumping in. Uh, I saw something this morning from uh, from somebody who pointed out that Klinsman said when asked that he was not going to release any of the U23 or U20 eligible players from this senior team with their camps and, and, and training going on. And then later he says he's actually releasing Rubio Rubin to go join the U20s in London. So what? I mean, again, this is Klinsman is I don't know that this is duplicitous. On his part, I think it's just as as pointed out in the tweet, and I apologize, I don't have the reference here. As pointed out, he just doesn't think things through before he says them. He doesn't think things through before they come out of his mouth, and then he has to backtrack or he has to do. He ends up doing something else. Seven oh six, you're on the air. Jason, hey, it's uh, Kevin Kincaid up here in Philly. What's Kevin, going on? what's going on? I got a hot take for me today, Kevin. No, I'm just you know I'm just thinking it's a great day to be a West Virginia Mountaineer fan. Oh. You know, we, we really gave Kentucky a good challenge last oh, night. Oh right? yeah, yeah, that was that was a little sad. I turned that game off pretty early, Kevin. <laughs> um, so to remedy that, you know, to get over the uh, the bad uh, bad taste from last night, I figured I'd call soccer morning. That's a, that's um, a good way to do that. That's a good way to do. That. Now, hopefully, you've got a positive a positive. Uh, thing to bring up i mean it can't really be about the union right now can it it can't really be about the united states right now it maybe it's about mls and expect what is it kevin what's on your mind well no i was going to ask you about the game of the week this week chicago fire versus uh versus philadelphia <laughs> union it's the most um, sarcastic phone call that's ever happened on this show uh, well i mean so let's 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 be let's try to find the silver lining here kevin to be honest with you there's a chance that one of these teams can build some momentum coming out of this game and I do think Philly's a better team than Chicago based on what I've seen so far. I might, might not be saying a lot, but come on, you know, you get one win under your belt, next thing you know, you're rolling off two or three. Yeah, and we all saw what happened last year when Philly Philly started off terrible for the first couple of months and they almost ended up making the playoffs, you know, to the U.S. Open Cup final. Um, but I, I don't know. I think I think Chicago, I'm, I'm interested to see how they play. I think they're probably better without Sean Maloney. You know, look at what Harry mm-hmm. Ship has done so far. He looks like a hell of a player. I love he's Harry home, Ship. Homegrown kid, you know, he's a homegrown kid. Yeah. Here you are bringing in a thirty-something-year-old DP, and, and it's funny you probably had a better player under your nose. Well, I mean, look, I think I think maybe Gallup's created himself a, a problem with both uh, Maloney and Ship on the field. Both those guys are going to need the ball. Both of them are going to demand the ball. I think I, I you know you you don't. It's it's great to have a couple of creative players, but we know that this is a fast and physical league, and if you don't have cover, if you don't have somebody doing the dirty work there. And I know, yeah. you know, and you've moved Laurentowitz from, from defensive midfield to center back. And that's mm-hmm. a question as well. Uh, there are a lot of things in Chicago that just seem unbalanced. And I, uh, I don't think you can take Harry Ship off the field. Every time he no, touches. I don't, I don't, no, you can't. And I mean, even, even if you want to go to Michael Stevens, he's kind of small, the same kind of build. Uh, Quincy Ameriqua is a good forward, but he's not, you know, a big bruiser type. You know, they're relying on a rookie in Polster to play in the defensive midfield. So I, I don't, I, I like how they're trying to keep the ball on the ground. 
Seem to have lost Kevin. That's, a, that's on my end. I apologize. It's a technical glitch. Uh, we'll get the phone lines back up and running. 347-756-6276. And by the way, if you don't get in the first time, we don't really have a hold system here. So just keep trying. I will get to eventually. And again, let me apologize to Kevin Kincaid up in Philly for the system crashing there briefly. Uh, feel free to recall, to call us back, Kevin, if you got some more thoughts on, uh, on the union against Chicago. Uh, if you guys want to jump in with your, with your games that you're focusing on this weekend, feel free. Again, Mexico playing Ecuador tomorrow. And we're going to talk to John Arnold about that in a couple of minutes. Mexico's got some things to figure out themselves, although they are certainly on a better trajectory right now than their northern rival, the United States. Uh, let me come back to, uh, we'll, we'll get to the phone lines. Bill in Rockland County, what's up? What's up, Jason? Just calling about the uh, international break this weekend. Okay. And I hope I'm not, I hope I'm not taking too far off the topic, but uh, I know a lot of people are complaining about playing through it. Yeah. And I, I have no problem playing through it if, Weeks two and three, we didn't have eight teams on buys. Yeah, you know what? I think that is rubbing people the wrong way. I mean, you had RSL and TFC. Were they both off last weekend? And now they're playing a game when they're missing a lot of internationals. That That's the issue I think a lot of people have. Why are you giving buys to teams ahead of breaks? Why not have those buys fall in, in, a, in a week when they're not going to be missing players? Well, and I, I almost see MLS's point with that because – you can't give some teams a bye this weekend because then you're almost it's an unfair advantage. So like everybody has to play this weekend, so it's not an unfair advantage. Well, okay, I, I see have that. all these international players, and now we take a break. Some teams get a break, and mine doesn't get a break this weekend. Well, yeah, but you know, you could say it that way. But not everybody has internationals. Not everybody's going to be missing a bunch of players. So I mean, you could say it's fair if everybody plays. But there are some teams that are at full strength, and there are there are teams that aren't. They aren't even close because they're missing players, Bill. Yeah, but we always complain, too, about our young players never getting in there and all these other guys. We want to see these other players. This is their weekend. Okay, fine. You know, but, they- but, but, but if you're talking about – thanks for the call, Bill. I've got to move on quickly. If you're talking about competitions, the competition's integrity, I think that there are some questions here. 207, you're on the air. Hello? Yeah, who's this? It's Edward. Hey, Edward. What's going on, man? Well, I I heard you guys talking about the Chicago Fire, and I'm not <laughs> yes. a, I'm not really a fan, but I did want to say one thing about it. Um, I watched the Chicago San Jose game, and when a com came in, it seemed to me like the whole dynamic changed. And okay. I do think when he gets normalized every day, if he stays healthy, that could be an impact. I mean, they could be a lot better than they're they're really getting credit for. They're not going to be a top team, but I, I do think he will open things up for Ship and maybe Maloney too. Okay. I think a lot of people are worried about Maloney getting his feet underneath him. Obviously, we know Ship can play, and he's, and he's had success in this league. Uh, but, yeah, if, if David Akam is the guy that's going to help uh, to help get that done, and, and they, need, they need scoring threats. As long as McGee is off the field, they need scoring threats. And I don't think Ameriqua creates enough on his own. And I'm not sure he works great in combination. He's the kind of guy that if you can get him on the break, if you can get him in front of goal, he might have a, you know, get the ball to him right in front of goal, he might have a shot to put the ball in the net. But other than that, there's just not enough dynamism there. Anything else? No, that's it. I, I do think that um, Akam, though, looked really special. Okay. It's good, and, it's and good the, call. There was the moments where he really showed flashes that, I, there was something there. I think we should definitely keep an eye on David Akam. Thanks for the call. Uh, I, I, well, how you have that accent and don't call yourself a fire fan, I don't understand. Jonathan, what's going on? 
Valiant effort by Kevin. <laughs> he tr- It wasn't his fault. It was a complete crash of my system here. I felt bad. I knew it was coming too, and I and I was like, "Oh, finish your thought." It didn't happen. But but again, it's the union, John. Maybe the people don't want to talk about the union. <laughs> number three and number four in the rankings this weekend, but of television markets, not the Eastern Conference standings. Uh, yeah, well, uh, you know that's that's an interesting thing to point out because we make a big deal about market size sometimes, especially when it comes to New York and L.A. I don't think people realize where Philly is on that list, John, and I don't think that people think that MLS is maximizing Chicago in it by any stretch. There, there's no other reason that I know of to put this game on national television right now. But, but at the same time, do you feel like people in Chicago, maybe people in Philadelphia more, more, more so, I mean, we're all, these are obviously relative things we're talking about here in terms of audience size, but do you really feel like, like the fire have any sort of profile in Chicago at all? They used to. Well, okay, yeah, uh, when they were winning championships. And you know where else? The other part of it was when they were playing at Soldier Field. When they were in the city, when they weren't relegated to the, to the booties of Bridgeview. And, and that's another issue here. And I, and I find it fascinating to consider how the timing of all of these stadiums works out. Uh, we're talking about putting a stadium in downtown Minneapolis now for, for Minnesota United. And everybody hopes that gets done. And the MLS is, and MLS is looking at that as a contingency. If that doesn't get done, they might not go to Minneapolis. Whereas, you know, 10 years ago, the fact that uh, Pizza Hut Park, now FC Dallas Park, or Toyota Park, whatever it is now, Toyota Field, and Toyota Park in Bridgeview are, were, were, being, were going up was, a, was a, a great credit to MLS. And now they're, they're albatrosses. And PPL Park was the last of those because when they started planning for it, the, they hadn't really started moving the stadiums into the cities yet. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know if people realize how far away Chester really is, especially well, in traffic. The funny thing is that you know, I've, I've, sat in, uh, I've sat in the press box in PPL Park and sat in the press box in Toyota Park and had the same experience. You look out to the left and you can see the city skyline 15 to 20 miles or yeah. whatever way that it is and you just sit there and wonder. Yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful view. I mean, it's a beautiful setting. Uh, right there on the river with the with the bridge in the background for PPL Park, and it's a beautiful place. I mean, I, I was there for the All Star Game. I've been there a couple times. It, it's a great place to watch a game. It's just there. It does. It has very much has that removed aspect to it. You're driving out. You're not. Uh, you know. You're you're not partaking in the marches and the and the vibrancy of of whatever cityscape uh, is, is right nearby. The way that things are happening in in other places and. That's clearly MLS has finally gotten the leverage, I suppose, John. They they didn't have back when Philly was trying to get a stadium built for the Union coming in, and Chicago needed a place to play that wasn't Soldier Field, and FC Dallas was tired of moving around the area, um, and, I, and I, that's a good thing. But now it leaves those teams sort of in the lurch a little bit. It's why the Boston Stadium is so crucial. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, I made a mistake on that yesterday. People pointing it out to me. It's not that the Crafts are looking to have that stadium as part of the Olympic program. They want it. They want it done outside in, in uh, before the Olympic program. They want to build a stadium in a, in a place where uh, an Olympic stadium has been proposed, which would obviously cause problems with that bid. John, you got anything else before I let you go? That's it. I'm going out there tonight. It's going to be uh, nice and miserable on Sunday while I'm out there. So. Everybody check out John's games to watch column over at Philly.com. Thanks for the call, John. You're welcome. All right, there you go. 860, you're on the air. Hey, Jason. It's uh, Zach in Arlington, Virginia. Hey, what's up, Zach? Appreciate, uh, appreciate you waiting. Yeah, no, no, no worries. Um, I got a question, and I don't really, I don't know, it's going to imply something I don't necessarily think, but how sure are we that Jurgen Klinsmann is actually a good coach? We're not at all. Not, not even yeah. in the slightest. 
Okay, because I just think, I mean, I, I think this isn't even a soccer problem. I think this is a sports in general problem, that we take these great players just because they had a great career on the field or on the court or on the, you know, the pitch, it doesn't necessarily mean that they know how to, you know, how to put together a team or a coach or, or coach people up. And I think the last few friendlies where we just have tried out everything in a back three and I just, I don't know, I'm just losing faith very rapidly that, that he knows what he's doing. I think a lot of people had some concerns before he was ever hired. I have those concerns now. I think they've uh, developed. I, I think that Jurgen Klinsmann is a, the kind of guy, he was such a good player, he knows the sport, he's so confident in his understanding of the game that sometimes he doesn't put the, forth the, uh, I'm not going to say effort, because I think he's really working hard, but I don't think he thinks about things the same way a guy who who maybe wasn't a great player and doesn't ha- isn't brimming what that sort of confidence might do. A guy like Jose Mourinho, who never, didn't really have much of a playing career. They got guys like Bruce Arena and Bob Bradley, who had to teach themselves how to be top-level coaches because they didn't play on a field in the World Cup and the Euro Champion, European Championships and, and, and European Cup Finals. So I, I think there's something to it, Zach. And those, are, those are exactly the names I was thinking about, too. I appreciate the phone call, man. i got to move on. Yep, thank right, you. There you go. Zach in Arlington, VA. Oh, my old stomping grounds, actually. Arlington. I need to take a visit. When we come back, John Arnold from Goal. CONCACAF John will join us. We'll talk about everything happening in the region. Lots of fascinating storylines. Soccer Morning, brought to you by World Soccer Talk. Stay there. Ooh, that is not what I wanted to do. <laughs> I'll be home again. See from the The best way to watch the greatest players in the world, including Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, Zlatan, and Pogba, is on Dish World's exclusive broadcast of BN Sports. Dishworld is the number one live international TV service in the U.S. It's a safe and legal streaming service that delivers your favorite sports and more to your TV, tablet, phone, and computer. For just $10 a month, you can watch La Liga, Syria, and Copa America, as well as the New York Cosmos, Chelsea TV, Arsenal TV, and others with One World Sports and more top networks offered by Dishworld. There's no commitment, no annual contract, and no satellite dish needed. Don't miss the best leagues in the world on Dishworld. Sign up today at www.dishworld.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go, talking CONCACAF with John Arnold of Goal. Also, as I said, of the BBC's World Football Phone-In. John. John, how are you? I'm doing well, Jason. How's everything going? I, I, I'm well. I am jealous of you right now because you are in San Diego, and I imagine it's something like 83 degrees and sunny, and it's just uh, it's a lovely day to be in Southern California. Meanwhile, it's dreary and 50 and raining here. Yeah, it's. I mean, sun's still rising. It's still it's still soccer morning, not quite soccer afternoon yet. They're actually having uh, unseasonably warm temperatures, but I'm headed up to Los Angeles. Got Mexico playing, Ecuador. Um, as pretty much everyone in Concacaf is is playing in this window. So busy times, exciting times, and yeah, nice nice of Mexico to pick LA to uh, have this match instead of uh, DC. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, we'll we'll talk about some DC things happening here in a couple of minutes but i'm going to talk to something that surprised a lot of people john and um when the uh, gold cup group came out uh, groups came out when the draw was done 
The United States was placed in a group that had one had an, an interesting line. It said Honduras or French Guiana, and I and I think that first of all, maybe explain why it's Honduras or French Guiana first, and then we'll get to the first leg result. Yeah, look, uh, there are these tournaments that a lot of people I think ignore that I try and cover and everything. Um, the Caribbean Cup and the Copa Centroamericana. These are essentially regional tournaments. So North America, everyone qualifies automatically. It's only Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. But for Central America and the Caribbean, they go through these qualifying tournaments. So last year, 2014, Honduras played the World Cup, did not very well, didn't finish with any points in the group, uh, if I remember correctly, and then uh, fired their coach or, or you know, departed from, from their current their, their coach, Luis Suarez was his name, not that same one, but uh, they brought in a dude named Hernan, Hernan Medford who had had a lot of success uh, coaching a Honduran team, Real España, who also um, had some time with Costa Rica and was a really great player and seemed like a really great manager. The thing is that the cupboard's not really full for Honduras. I think they're in a difficult time right now and definitely a time of transition. He struggled during the Copa Centroamericana. They finished fifth, um, and then you play the fifth-place team in the Caribbean Cup, which actually, there's no like fifth-place playoff, even though there's like a third-place game. So it was French Guiana, I believe, based on goal difference uh, over Martinique. So kind of a strange deal that they even got drawn with French Guiana. Uh, they bring in Jorge Luis Pinto, the man who took Costa Rica to such a successful World Cup, and they think, okay, everything's going to be fine. Well, apparently not, because they had to French Guiana lose 3-1. Look, I still think that Honduras has a pretty good chance to get through, but if French Guiana, for some reason, is able to get an away goal, uh, I mean, you're looking at panic mode. If, if Honduras misses the Gold Cup, this is a nation that's used to making the World Cup. If they don't even qualify for the Gold Cup, it's going to be a total disaster. But like I said, I'm not sure that they really have the best personnel right now. You know, they had a lot of uh, kind of legendary talents. Guys, uh, you know, up top you had Carlo Costley, and before him you had uh, Leon, Welcome, and all these other players, and now those guys are gone, and there's really no one there to fill the void yet. The midfield is talent. We know a lot of those guys from MLS, but even the defenders, you know, you have Victor Bernardes announced his international retirement. Minor Figueroa is getting up there in years. Uh... Mele Zaguerre, the left-back, fantastic player still, but he can't do it all himself. So the Honduran backline, as you saw in the, uh, in the playoff, is, is vulnerable. Mm. And if, they're able to, uh, if French Guiana is able to take advantage of that one more time, uh, you might be talking about a Gold Cup without Honduras in 2015. You know, let's, uh, let's talk about French Guiana just a bit to give a sketch of, of who they are and, and what they're all about. First of all, they're not a member of FIFA. They're a, uh, an overseas department of France, so they're not an independent nation in the way that we think about it. And that's why they're not. Uh, a member of FIFA, if I understand that correctly, but they do have they do have the ability to sort of dip into the French player pool because of the roots that maybe some of these some, some people have to you know it's sort of like Jamaica. You'll see English players who play for Jamaica based on their on their par- on their parentage. Yeah, I mean, only if you're eligible, and it's it's a small populace. I mean, there's not a ton of guys who are look. If you look at their roster, they have a they have a guy who is uh, he's in the Belgian first division. After that, you're looking at League, I don't know how to say it in <laughs> French, but League 2, League 2, I League guess, deux. is that right? Yeah, League 2, that's right. Yeah, you're looking at guys in League 2, <laughs> and, uh, and, and the local leagues is really making the numbers for that team. So, 
Yeah, they could potentially have some guys. There might be some guys they're trying to scout or bring over, but it's not like, you know, there were some rumors that, oh, Thierry Henry, would, would, you know, he was eligible for Martinique and Guadeloupe. It's not like you got Thierry Henry suiting up for these guys. It's a lot of players you haven't heard of and players I haven't heard of. And uh, Well, that's fair. It's, that's fair. it's remarkable to me that they've been able to do that and do what they did. And, and even the Caribbean Cup, you know, this is a nation that doesn't play matches that often. So, uh it, it, it's a pretty big feat. If they make the Gold Cup, it'll be obviously hard-earned and well-deserved. Yeah, if you look at their history uh, in terms of the Gold Cup, um, they did not enter for a long time. They did, not, <laughs> yeah. they did not qualify for a long They obviously didn't qualify. They've never been to a Gold Cup. This is this, It would be massive for, for French Guiana. It would be a, a massive blow to Honduras. And, and give me an idea from what you're seeing, John. I mean, look, all of the American fans, the U.S. national team fans are – are wringing their hands over the the way the team is playing right now, but there's still no doubt that the United States is one of the three best teams in the region. Uh, but where is everybody else? I mean, if we have Costa Rica one based on their current form and Mexico two, the United States three, how do you see the rest of the region shaking out? I think Panama's right there. I know the U.S. beat them pretty easily uh, in L.A. in the January friendly, but I think that Panama's right there knocking on the door. If I had to pick the World Cup qualifiers right now, I'd pick those three teams, and I think Panama is is right there at number four. Uh, Jamaica, I'm going to be interested to watch their friendlies in this window. They, they play Venezuela, which I think should be a good match. You know, they've got a lot of guys who, as you mentioned, you know, they bring in some of the guys from the English Championship. They have MLS uh, quality players. They, they called in originally six. I don't think uh, Williams from Montreal is going to make it. Um, but, you know, so they've got a bunch of MLS guys. We'll see. I, I think they have a chance to do something qualifying. Jamaica and Trinidad and Tobago, both in the Caribbean, are, are guys who could jump up there. But I think after those three that you mentioned, it's Panama right there, then Jamaica probably. And then, you know, I would have said Honduras before this week, but yeah. it doesn't even look like they can beat, you know, the fifth-place Caribbean team. So yeah. we'll have to see how they progress. And, and we've, ta- we've had this discussion before, John. Who, who's, the, uh, who's the nation that, Maybe is underachieving. Maybe has a little bit more talent than they're showing. Uh, maybe could. I'm not saying break into those top four or five teams, but certainly improve on where they stand right now in the region. Well, I mean Honduras, but I think that one team that I'm keeping an eye on, and I know you wanted to get to this, is is El Salvador. They they went through the match manipulation scandal. They had uh, more than 20 players banned for life. You look at that. You know, if that even you know if you if you said okay, United States. We're just going to chop off 20 players, and we're going to pick them at random. It's not necessarily going to be your 20 best, but there are going to be mostly guys who have national team caps. You know, that would, that would devastate the team. Yeah. Um, you take that in an even smaller nation like El Salvador, and, and they're really, really recovering from that. I think their manager, Albert Roca, uh, he's scheduled some really difficult friendlies. They're playing Argentina this window. I was playing Guatemala, who's another up-and-coming team, I think. They finished uh, really well at the Copa Centroamericana. So I think those are the two teams who I would say, you know, they're right there. They might be looking at the upper, you know, they might be looking up. They might be kind of trying to break into the next echelon. But I think it's too soon for either of those teams to really make any noise in qualifying this time around. I mean, it's not fun. I don't think there's, and and who knows, maybe there'll be some sort of sexy March Madness type upset pick as we progress through qualification. But I think right now I'm interested to see El Salvador's progression. Guatemala is doing, doing some really nice things. Those would be the two teams I think that could maybe break into the kind of familiar faces and yeah, these, these are these are perennial Gold Cup participants, but they just never really make any uh, much noise at that tournament. Um, speaking of of El Salvador, they are taking on Argentina 
at FedEx Field on on Saturday, they're going to get blitzed, John. I don't think there's any mm-hmm. any sense that they won't. But they'll have a good crowd behind them. Lots of Salvadorians in the DC area. What can they possibly take away from that experience aside from a a decent check for a smaller confederate or so, a smaller federation? Yeah, I mean, make no mistake, finances are definitely involved. You know, I mentioned that uh, Albaroca, the Spanish manager, he took over this job and and you know was tasked with not only being a good national team manager, but revitalizing that team after that scandal. And he's taken a very slow approach. Uh, but with that said, you know, his first ever match, I believe, in charge was against Ivory Coast in, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Then he played Spain. Um, <laughs> this is, these are matches that were not easy, obviously. Yeah. Now he's playing teams like Argentina. So I think that, you know, the money is going to help, honestly. But I think that his approach of kind of looking at some of the, the lower divisions in the U.S., the NASL has been a big... Um, kind of pool for him to draw off of. And now he also has uh, Darwin Saren in, in Orlando after the USL MLS switch in Orlando. Um, looking at some of those players and also, you know, um, taking an approach for some guys who are in some of the smaller leagues uh, in Europe. I think that kind of bringing those guys together, calling those guys in with consistency and making sure that they know each other, making sure they can work well with each other is really going to serve his team well in CONCACAF. Mm-hmm. Um, it probably won't help too much against Argentina, but look, I, I think the fact that they're playing challenging games is big. You know, if you just play the minnows every time, or even you just play other Central American teams, you're not challenging your team that much. You're not really getting any better. You're not finding out anything you don't know about your team. So, uh, I think they'll make a little money. They'll get to say they played against Messi if he's able to play and, and, uh, and I think they'll, you know, continue to gain experience for that. The Guatemala game might actually be more. It might show more, at least, but maybe they learn more from the game against Argentina about themselves. Yeah, I was at that Spain game last year. <laughs> that was something else. Uh, you know, obviously the fans were very excited, and it was a little bit of both, uh, rooting for both sides, uh, Spain yeah. and, and El Salvador. By the yeah. way, for anybody, for any old, old school MLS fans who are wondering, Arturo Alvarez, who plays for El Salvador, and is their vice captain, according to what I'm reading here, is in Hungary right now, and he's still on the team. <laughs> yeah, he plays for a team that's called, like, I'm sure it's not how you say it in Hungarian, but, it, like, in English it looks like Videotron, like it's like a Jumbotron or something. <laughs> it says, yeah, I don't think there's an R. I think it's Videotone or Vidi... I mean, I would I would say it with a Spanish accent, Videotone. I would say it like that. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that's not right. But. <laughs> no, absolutely not. All right, let's, let's turn to the big dogs. Uh, let's start with Mexico. You've got to call them up. Or a piece up at goal, uh, outlining five things that Miguel Herrera needs to do get done or or check on uh, during this um, this friendly window. Ecuador first and foremost uh, in L.A. That game that you're attending. Um, tell me where you see the priorities. I mean, you got goalkeeper, you got some uh, some goal scoring questions in terms of who can who can create for him uh, with this particular roster. Where are the where are the issues for for Miguel Herrera? Yeah, for me, the first thing that Miguel Herrera needs to answer, and I think this camp is, this window is going to help him out a lot, is what's the future at defense? You know, he plays generally a 5-3-2 with three center backs and two wing backs, and, and you've had, you know, Rafa Marquez still kicking around. You've had Maza Rodriguez still kicking around. These are guys who have been around for a long time, and they were actually called in. You know, Mexico's got the Copa America and the Gold Cup this summer. They're going to need to call in a ton of players to really complete that roster. Um, so they're going to need depth. So he called in Rafa, he called in Maza, but Maza has a personal issue, Rafa's injured. So now you have a, a chance at center back. Hector Moreno is, is the first name on the team sheet, I think. After that, there's, you know, there's some questions. Who's going to be able to play? You have Diego Reyes, who's a really young talent, but hasn't been able to get minutes at his club at Porto. 
You have Hugo Ayala, who's been around for a while with Tigres. He has some national team experience, but he hasn't really taken on a big role yet because of the outsized leadership of some of those other guys. So I think center back is the big question. And then for me, it immediately goes from there to forward. Uh, Chicharito, Raul Jimenez not really playing. Giotto Santos has has not combined well with with anybody during the Miguel Herrera era, uh, even though he's he's performing well. So I think center back and forward are the big questions for Mexico right now. You know, the media likes to talk about the goalkeeper battle between Guillermo Ochoa and Jesus Corona. It's fun to watch, but honestly, I think it's kind of similar to if the U.S. actually had like an open competition between, say, Howard and Guzan. Yeah. You're not missing much. These are both really fantastic keepers. Uh, they have different strengths and weaknesses. It just kind of depends on the game and that kind of thing. Yeah. So I think center back is a big question. I think forward's a big question for Mexico. And, and really, these games, I think, will, will do a good job of preparing them for this summer. So I think that was why scheduling by Mexico, even if uh, it's you know some more money in the U.S., uh, bringing in Ecuador and Paraguay, I think, are, are good opponents. Chicharito Hernandez, obviously not having the best of time at Real Madrid. He didn't have the best of time at Manchester United, and he's still sort of still on the fringes, still a major figure for Mexico. What what is his role going forward, and and how does Herrera jumpstart his uh, you know his form again in the national team camp? I think it's a big question: is, is what is his role right now because he's not playing. But in the November window, he scored against uh, the Netherlands in that 3-2 victory they had, and, and so did Carlos Vela, which, you know, he's a guy who's going to be the guy who I think is going to score the most goals for Mexico, but he's not healthy right now, wasn't able to get called in. Oribe Peralta is also injured, which is part of the reason they have that kind of gap at forward. But as far as Chicharito goes, I, it, it's puzzling to me. The Real Madrid move, I don't know that anyone really thought was going to lead to a lot of success. You're never going to displace Ronaldo. You're never going to displace Kareem Benzema. So... It, it, it was a move that I think he made kind of knowing, I think he thought he would see more time, but I think, you know, knowing that he wasn't going to be in the starting group, um, does that carry over? I'm not sure. I think that Miguel Herrera, you know, has to kind of take into account that both Chicharito and Raul Jimenez probably have some rust on them. Um, I don't know if you start them together or not. You know, Chicharito and Gio, as I mentioned, you know, they haven't really worked well as a forward pairing. I mentioned in that piece I wrote on goal, if, if you're Miguel Herrera, maybe you think about changing to a 4-3-3 simply for the, the fact that, you know, Gio might be more comfortable in that. You could put Chicharito or Raul Jimenez in the middle. You know, Jimenez for sure is more of a, a central presence at times, but he can also play on the wing. So, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what you do with Chicharito to boost his confidence to make sure that he's in rhythm. I think you have to play him at least one of the, you know, start him and play him at least one of these games. So I think we'll see Chicharito on the field. How he'll perform is, is anyone's guess just because we don't really see too much of him. It was, you've opened a question there about Herrera and his formation. He, he's been married to the 5-3-2 for so long and that they certainly had success at the World Cup with it, John. You, mm -hmm. I, I always advocate for coaches to do whatever's best for the personnel that they have available, but at the same time, Herrera's been successful this way. It, it is is really changing things up for you know to 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 account for Giov, uh, Giovanni De Santos or, or for Chitarito the way to go. Yeah, well, and here's the thing that's interesting to me about think, talking about the formation switch, and it hasn't been something that Herrera's really mentioned. It's just kind of some crazy idea that I have, um, and that other people have too. You know, it's not like I'm I'm uniquely thinking this. Media members are kind of tossing it around. I think when you look at the first team, the Mexico's best 11, or, or you know, if you even want to extend it to their you know, best 23 players you could call in, I think 5-3-2 still serves them really well. I think they still have three really talented center backs. They have Miguel Layun and Paul Aguilar, who can play on the wing back spots and really excel at that position. 
after that, I'm not really sure how much depth you have at that formation. So I think that's when you say maybe, okay, if we're taking our best group to Gold Cup because we need to make the Confederations Cup, we're going to play that group in a 5-3-2. But this other group, we don't really have the personnel to do this. We don't have the guys to play wing back, or, or we don't have three solid center backs who are versatile, who can play out of the back. Maybe then you start looking at something different. Yeah. You know, but, but how, do you, how do you express that during the friendlies? You've, you're, you've got to prepare for both of these tournaments. You've got to keep your best guys on the pitch. And look, I mean, you know, sponsors aren't going to be happy. Fans aren't going to be happy if you go out there, call in your best team, and then throw out a 4-3-3 with essentially your reserves. So yeah. it's a difficult spot he's in. I'm not sure how he prepares for that. If he it does want to make a formation switch, so I think maybe you just stick with what you know. And juggling these th- those two tournaments is fascinating to me. And, and look, I mean, Mexico is a perennial invitee to the Copa America, and I don't think that's going to be changing. But, you know, I, every American fan vividly remembers 2007 and Bob Bradley taking a second re- reserve team down there and, and ultimately upsetting Gumball is is Herrera got to balance that as well. It's funny because you know in the past Concacaf has also mandated that it's that the teams you know guest teams taken be um, uh, underage you know U twenty three teams in, in different tournaments as well. Uh, Mexico and Jamaica are both going this year. Jamaica you know they just I I I don't think they have the depth to compete. I think Mexico might, um, but yeah, it, it's something that Herrera has to balance. You know he has to say. He definitely has to prioritize one of the tournaments, and I think you prioritize the Gold Cup simply because it's your continental competition, and you can make the Confederations Cup if you win it. Um, Copa America, you're pretty much just playing for pride. Even if you win the thing, you don't get to go to the Confederations Cup. Um, but I think you're going to see some some pretty talented players on that team. He hasn't really indicated exactly what he's going to do yet. He says after this friendly window, he'll kind of say, okay, here's my strategy. I'm going to take some of these guys or, or what have you, what his strategy is actually going to be. But I think it creates a, an interesting kind of, uh, you know, you talk about a selection headache sometimes when you say, oh, you know, we've got three players who could play the same spot. Well, I think he's got kind of the opposite where it's like, you got to decide if you're going to take these guys to this place or not. It's going to be interesting because, again, he doesn't have any restrictions placed on him, at least as far as the Confederation has said, as far as um, Miguel Herrera has said. So he's able to do what he wants. We'll see what he wants to do. I think you have to prioritize one of the tournaments and, and kind of hope that your depth and youth takes you through the, the Copa America. I'd love to talk to you about the USA, John, but I, I think it's better to have you uh, give us your expertise on some of these teams that uh, the rest of us just aren't paying attention to, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, we should, but, you know, it, it, we've got limited time, and you're, uh, you're yeah. a professional. Uh, l- let me, uh, let me briefly, ask you about, briefly ask you about Canada before I let you go. Um, Caller Vince uh, was on earlier and pointed out that they're playing a friendly, and I didn't mention it. Uh, apparently, there's uh, there's very limited access to watching this game. It's a it's a friendly yeah. against Guatemala in Miami. Where do you think Benito Floro is in the process with Canada? There's uh, you know Vince indicated that hey, at least we have an identity. It's going to be practical. It's going to be <laughs> pragmatic. But but you know they they need to take a couple steps forward if they're going to start considering you know making semifinals and finals of Gold Cups. They definitely do. They're one of the teams that plays in the second round. Um, they'll play the winner of Dominica and the British Virgin Islands. Dominica won the first leg of that in the British Virgin Islands 3-2 last night. So it looks like they're going to probably play Dominica unless they fall apart at home. Um, Canada's a team that, that's interesting. You know, I think that you have a lot of interest. In, and for all the, the kind of difficulties that the relationship has gone through with MLS, I think ultimately MLS has been a really good thing for Canada's national team and will continue to be as that kind of relationship with the league evolves. Um, I don't, I still think they're too far out for 2018. You know, I, 
I don't think they're going to make the hex. I don't think they can really get to that that stage. But I think they should be able to get through the second round, get through the third round. And then, you know, who knows? Um, Benito Floro has done a good job. And, and I think the Canada Federation, you know, for it comes into for some criticism because fans can't watch games or, you know, they, they do weird things sometimes. And sometimes they don't really communicate very well. And sometimes they don't make the wisest decisions, just like any other federation, I guess. But uh, I think for all of the negative that, that, that they can come in for, done a really good job handing the reins to Floro and just kind of letting him do his thing, uh, kind of keeping it hands off. You know, they've had these, these training camps in Fort Lauderdale and Florida. They went over to Europe and played some friendlies in, in some kind of obscure locations. Just the fact that they're able to do that, though, the fact that they're kind of saying, okay, do your thing. We're not going to, you know, try and get a huge gate receipt at BMO. We're not going to try, you know, we're not going to make you play this many matches in, in the United States on television or in big stadiums or, or make a, get a payday every time. The fact that they've done that, I think, is something that the national team is ultimately going to benefit from in the long term. So, uh, again, I think Canada's still a ways off, but I think that their player development and the fact that, you know, the relationship with MLS continues to strengthen, I think that's going to benefit them in the long run. I'm not saying you'll see them in Qatar, but I am saying I think they're improving in the long term, and, and if they can keep on that path, it'll go well for them. Did you mean Russia? Because Qatar's a longer ways away. Right. No, I do mean Qatar. Oh, I, wow. I don't think you're going to see them in Russia. I don't know if they can make it. I see. Okay, you're setting a goal. Right, because Russia's too soon, but even with the development, maybe, but not even. It's, yeah. it's funny, honestly, Jason. I, I know you know a lot of these teams are total minnows, that are, but a lot of the managers are saying, look, we know we're not going to qualify from Russia, which is good, because they're just simply not. Okay. But we're, we're setting 2022 as our goal. It's a long time to think, but, but you kind of have to have that sort of long-term plan, sure. because if you sure. just have this cycle, you don't qualify for Russia, you fire your coach, you don't play games for two years, and then you try and kickstart it again for Qatar, it's not going to work. So yeah. if you actually craft a long-term vision, which is something that Canada is doing, that really gives you the best chance at success in the future. Uh, it's a different way of thinking than the kind of big boy national teams, but it's something that these teams have to adapt. Well, of course, yeah. You can't, you can't be turning over coaches every two years if you're going to try to yeah. make a run at it. You have to have a long-term plan. Benito Floro in Canada. John, before I let you go, this just occurred to me. The Olympic qualifying tournament. When, where, what, how? I, I, I'm a, I admit it's off my radar a bit. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't. I haven't even been able to give that any thought yet, honestly. Okay, fair enough. It's coming. <laughs> we know it's coming it's up. In the, it's in the U.S. It's in the U.S. It's coming up later in the year. I, I didn't know it was in the U.S. I just wanted to see <laughs> if you were. Gonna, no, uh, you're just, just trying to test me, Jason. Trying no, to test no, me. Throw no, me no. some Saint Kitts and Nevis questions, and we'll and we'll get into it. <laughs> I don't. I don't even know where that. That's a real place. It sounds like a fantasy. Oh, it's land. a real place. They qualified six two victories in both legs over Turks and Caicos. You're going to see them play against uh, El Salvador Fantastic. in the second round. All right, John. John Arnold from Goal. Uh, John, when's your next uh, BBC appearance? I will be on the first Friday of the next month. So uh, next week. Yeah. So next week, listen to the World Football Phone In. From BBC Five Live, where John Arnold is the co- resident CONCACAF expert. John, thanks for your time. Enjoy San Diego and L.A. We'll talk to you soon. Always a pleasure. Take care, Jake. Right, there goes John Arnold. Good stuff from him on CONCACAF. We'll come back. We'll open up the phone lines again briefly before we send you off into your weekend. Soccer Morning, brought to you by WorldSoccerTalk.com. Stay there.
Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Back on Soccer Morning. Eddie in Brooklyn's angry at me. I didn't ask John about Costa Rica. We spend a lot of time on this show showering praise on Costa Rica. We do. So just calm down over there with your stats and stuff, Eddie. Come on, man. <laughs> no, it's just a, really just a, an oversight by me. I apologize profusely for not talking about the Ticos. I'm scared. You know what it is, Eddie? I'm scared of the Ticos. I'm flat out scared. I'm scared that the United States is going to go up against Costa Rica in this Gold Cup, and it's not going to be pretty. That's what I'm scared of. That's why I don't talk about the Ticos as much. That's why I didn't ask a question. That's 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 why it wasn't something that came up with Cocky Cap John. No, honestly, I don't. I don't know. I don't really have an answer for that. Eight four five. You're on the air. Hello, Jason. Yes. First time caller, long time listener. I have a huge bone to pick with Jurgen Klinsmann. With Jurgen Klinsmann. All right. I'll pass along the message, whatever it might be. Go ahead. Um, the defense. Yes. It, it's just, you watch it. The last 20 minutes of the game last night when the subs started coming, or two nights ago, when the subs started coming in, it's just long ball, defending for your lives. And you have Tim Reeve on the bench, who is by far the best passing defender in Europe. He, or best passing American defender in Europe. Mm-hmm. And he constantly gets praised from Bolton, from the championship, teams of the week, and yet he doesn't do anything with them. And Jurgen Klinsmann has zero responsibility when it comes to, um, Sorry, I'm rambling right now. I don't think I was going to get through it. It's all right. You know, compose your thoughts here. First, our first beef is not using Tim Ream. That's the first beef? Yes. Okay. And I'm a New York Red Bull fan, so I'm fully aware with him. I was heartbroken when he was sold to Bolton, but I understood why he wanted to go to Europe because at the time, Bob Bradley was calling him in left and right, starting him, and... Yeah, he doesn't get a single look well, from Jurgen Klinsmann. Okay, so Tim Ream went through a very fallow period of form. He had, I think, he had some injuries. Things weren't going well for Tim Ream. He don't forget that when he got to Bolton, it was I don't think it was good for a while. Yeah, he's become a a better player. He's filled in a defensive midfielder. He's played some some outside back. He's uh, he's obviously been a center back for them. He's won team of the week. He's shown up on the championship team uh, of of the month and all of those things. That's all great. I'm not saying that he shouldn't get a look. He probably should get a look. But I don't know that his abilities with the ball at his feet are necessarily the reason for that. I, I think Klinsman wants to play out of the back. I think it's a good idea to play out of the back. But that's not why you play Tim Ream. You want his positioning to be solid. You want him to be able to play physically and win balls in the air. I, I don't know that he's not a better option. I just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little, I, I'm just trying to protect the coach's uh, right, you know, his prerogative to see guys in training and pick who he thinks is best. I know Jurgen Klinsmann does a lot of things that I don't like, but I, I don't know that I'm in a position to say, hey, you should be playing Tim Ream. When you have Michael Rockwell Fiscal, who I still have no idea what Klinsmann sees in him. The <laughs> only two things I remember from Fiscal is his red card in, I think it was the 2008 Olympics, and the goal in Azteca. 
other than that, he's a mediocre defender at best. He doesn't he doesn't play the ball as well as Tim Ream. And you got John Brooks, who's the the this generation of Gucci Anelu, who's a, a mountain and is a complete beast. So yet you give him the ball, and the first thing he's doing is he's making a three-yard pass to either his center back pairing or a fullback. Meanwhile, Tim Ream, he still he reads the game like no other defender in our pool right now. Sure. And and I'm reading up on match reports. He made like he his pass completion in the championship is. I think up there with the best in in the league. Okay, so, yeah. I, I, I will say this. I mean, we can go on and wax poetic about him, Reem, if you'd like. But I will say this. I think, I think there is something to this in the fact that Jurgen Klinsmann consistently talks about wanting to play out of the back and finding guys who can pass the ball, and and he's got a notion of right right uh, center defender and left center defender. So there's an argument that Tim Reem should be getting a stronger look based on what Klinsman has been selling us. But we've already established that Jurgen Klinsmann does the exact opposite of what he says all the time. Yeah. All the time. I appreciate the phone call. Thanks a lot, man. Let's go. Uh, 704, you're on the air. Hey, Jason. It's Cam. How are you? What's up, Cam? Hey, partner. Listen, I know that, uh, first of all, great show today. And I, I, I know you probably spoke more about the U.S. national team like yesterday. But, you know, in listening to the show today, I'm really frustrated by what I see in the organization of, of the U.S. national team. And, I, and my question to you is, is it just my imagination or now that we've had a couple of friendlies, I, there's still no clear identity to this team, what direction the coach is taking the team in tactically, and who under Jurgen Klinsmann watch has really developed over this four-year cycle that we've had of Jurgen Klinsmann? Mm, that's a good question. I think that's a, an excellent question. What players have actually developed under Jurgen Klinsmann? I would make an argument that Alejandro Bedoya has uh, developed somewhat under Jurgen Klinsmann. You could argue that it's not about Klinsmann, that Bedoya just got better as a player on his right. own or at his club team in France. Um, beyond that, um, you know, let me think about this. Uh uh, you know, Fabian Johnson is a better player, but was he developed by Klinsman in any, in any real sense? Open right. question again. Uh, I, I think Jurgen Klinsman has he's caught he's caught in a bad situation in the fact that if you don't, he doesn't have an obligation to explain anything to us, the fan, right. if he doesn't want to. But if you're not going to do that, Bob Bradley never did. Bruce Arena rarely did, and if he did, it was with Snark. If if they if you are not going to do that, you better win games. You better be successful. You better show some sort of competitive nature beyond, you know, hey, we got a moment of brilliance out of Josie Altador or, uh, you know, look, from a long ball. Oh, look, here's Michael Bradley making a pinpoint 40-yard pass. We know those things already exist. They would exist without Jurgen Klinsmann. Show us where your influence is. And that is exactly my point as well, because under Bruce Arena and under Bob Bradley, we saw where their coaching and tactics evolved the program and propelled it forward. And under, you know, Bruce Arena, we also saw talent identified and developed under their watch. Now, granted, I'm a firm believer club teams develop players, not national teams. But in my mind, as a national team coach, 
you have to identify players and then give them the opportunity to develop in your system, mm -hmm. as Bruce Arena did with both Demarcus Beasley and Landon Donovan mm -hmm. and Altador. And then when Bob Bradley took over the team, he continued to develop Altador, identified his own son, Michael Bradley, who was, you know, still very much trying to, you know, come into his own. And as well as some of the other key elements that we still see in the national team program today. He took those, those players that he developed, even Charlie Davies, mm -hmm. to the Confederations Cup final. Yeah. And, and you saw progress. I'm not seeing any progress on the Jurgen Clemson, and yet he's getting paid four times as much as what Bruce Arena got paid for the program. And I'm not seeing any youth coming up behind them, and, and players are being discarded. As quickly as players are being introduced who are young and new players, those players are being rotated out. Uh, well, I mean, I think there's a, a new generation that we have yet to see fully integrated, and, and it remains to be seen if Klinsman does the right thing with those players. You know, some some of this is that, again, Klinsman has not taken the program in the places he said he wanted to take it, and that's an issue. But it occurs to me here as well, and, and I don't want to put rose-colored glasses on and use nostalgia and go back and say that Bob Bradley was better at this or that. It, 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 everything was rosy back then, or, or even Bruce Arena, who, no, who clearly it, had his problems. It wasn't rosy, and you're absolutely right. And I'm not saying it was. To me, under Klinsman, the program is taking a step back. And I never felt like that under Bruce Arena well, or um, Bob Rath. Okay, well, let me ask you this, Cam. Do you think that, okay, think about those teams that Arena had first. And then obviously that that uh, Bob Bradley had the kind of players that that go to to that win gold cups that go to fi to finals in the Confederation Cup. He had leaders. Both those guys had leaders in every portion of the field. Whether it's Claudio Reyna in the middle, Eddie Pope in the back. Um, you know, obviously some of the defender Oguchi and Yehu coming up. I think was still a leader even when he was young. Yeah. Carlos Bocanegra was the captain for a very long time. Then you had uh, you know then you obviously had up front. You got you had guys like Landon Donovan and Brian McBride. Those are leaders. Those are the guys. Who help pull the team along when things aren't going well? I look at right. this. I look at this team, and I see, I see maybe a leader in Clint Dempsey, although he's an understated kind of guy. Michael Bradley is certainly a leader. Where are the leaders at the back? Is there any leader? I mean, Tim Howard when he's in net, Brad Guzan when he's in net, sure, but that's you demand that of your keeper anyway. That, that that's not a benefit. You're not getting a boost out of that. That's just the the basic level for a keeper. Show me where the leaders are, and and is that on Jurgen Klinsmann to help develop them, or is this on U.S. Soccer somehow for not having these strong enough personalities to be leaders right now? Well, I have to say that I put this squarely at Jurgen Klinsmann because he's not only just the coach; he's the technical director as well. Bruce Arena identified leaders. He cultivated them in MLS on his teams. He had Arena guys. Uh, uh, Bob Bradley had Bob Bradley guys. You know, uh, Eddie Pope was a nobody until Bruce Arena identified who he was. He was so quiet, even at DC United back in the early, in the mid 90s, uh, in the early 2000s, that he wasn't a vocal, fiery leader. No. But no one questioned whether or not Eddie Pope was a leader right. because behind closed doors in the locker room and on the field, more importantly, he kept the team organized. Mm. Uh, Tony Sutter was a big personality, Brian McBride, as you mentioned. And uh, Bruce Arena, I mean, and, and when Bob Bradley took over the team, he also cultivated that, those leadership personalities, like you said, Carlos Bocanegra. Yeah, Carlos Bocanegra made his name in Major League Soccer. Yeah, yeah. I put this on, on Jurgen okay. Klinsmann. Uh, I, I and when you look at the back line and the players that are playing out of position, Jason, how many players play in the same position 
game in, game out in the same system. I know. I, know. I, I, I got to let you go. I got to move on. But I, I think you're. I think you. We're identifying something. I think there's something with this team and with Jurgen Klinsmann's leadership where he doesn't want anybody else to be on his level in terms of leadership. It's Jurgen Klinsmann's team. He's the boss. He makes the rules. He gives the captain's armband to Dempsey. Again, I think Dempsey is is got a leadership role within the team, but I don't see him as the the guy that's really going to pull the team or push the team forward. I, I don't know. Kevin Kincaid's back on the line. Kevin, I apologize. No, sorry, Jay. I thought I, I thought that was on my end. Um, listen, I know you're running out of time. Just to follow up on what I was saying. Um, yeah, Chicago, Philly. Look, if they had a flex scheduling, you know, for MLS TV deal, this game wouldn't be on TV this week. You know, that's something to look at down the line, and that'll definitely help uh, ratings, help viewership, I think. But, you know, Chicago, Philly, two big markets that should probably be doing better. You know, there's there's some decent talent on these teams. It's not like they have a bunch of uh, bunch of bums playing for them. So, I don't know, just underachievers the last couple of years. You know, Chicago tries to keep the ball on the ground. You know, the pass on the ball, they're trying to play, you know, quote-unquote the right way or whatever. You know, Philly's got some talent, too, but a bunch of injuries. So, you're probably going to see Vincent Noguera playing in an advanced role. Michael Hood's probably going to be in there. Uh, Shane and Williams is out. So, you know, a couple of injuries, some international absences. It's not going to be the greatest game on national TV, but that's uh, MLS Week 4 for you. Yeah, thanks for selling it so well, Kevin. I'm glad that you're uh, getting the, the fan bases jazzed up for this uh, <laughs> for this big weekend that we've got coming up. Look, I, yeah, you know, I, I, I go back and forth. I, I, as you said, it's Week 4. It's International Weekend. I go back and forth on whether or not I want to really come down on MLS for this because I understand there are some realities that they just can't. They can't. Ma- yeah. They can't change. Kevin, are you are you one of those guys who says, you know, fix this, get out of this weekend? You can't possibly have whatever it is, uh, fifty eight guys missing from your league when yeah. you're trying yeah. to put games on national television. There's just got to be a better way to do it, right? I mean, I understand that MLS is up against it, but it's hard for me to then look at a bunch of teams that had bye weeks last week. You know, if if they knew that this week was coming up, you know, this international window is always going to be a pain in the butt then you can't be giving these teams buys in week week two and, and week three or whatever. You know, play the first three weeks and then just take a break for the next week and, and just suck it up and say it is what it is. I know that they have issues, but there's probably just better ways to approach it, you know? Yeah. Kevin Kincaid right, from uh, CBS up in Philly. Thanks for the call, Kevin. Appreciate it. All right, thanks. Uh, there it goes. Uh, 347-756-6276 is your phone number. Just got a couple of minutes left in this program. Again, ahead of a big weekend. Um, around the world in terms of friendlies, European qualifiers, uh, MLS, it's still, look, whatever, whatever the, the dist, the, the issues are with players being gone for international duty this weekend, you still have games that matter. These are still, there's still three points on offer for these teams that can go out and get a win this weekend. I did want to touch on this. It relates every, to everything we've been talking about with, uh, Jurgen Klinsmann. An interesting story up over at foxsports.com, foxsoccer.com today. Uh, Carl Heinz Rumenega, who's obviously uh, in charge over at Bayern Munich interview. This piece is by Mike Slane, actually. This is a Goal.com piece, so I, I apologize. It's a Goal.com piece that's posted at, at Fox Soccer. Goal sat down with uh, the Bayern executive board chairman, Carl Heinz Rummenigge, and they talked about Jurgen Klinsmann. And Jurgen identified, or sorry, Carl uh, Heinz Rummenigge identified the issue with Klinsmann and the reason he was fired <clears throat> being Martin Vasquez, the number two that Jurgen Klinsmann took. Uh, Mexican-American guy who has obviously been part of the U.S. program since Klinsman took over until last year ahead of the World Cup when he was summarily let go. I don't know. I mean, this is this is, this is is a very uh, interesting idea that just because Klinsman brought in a guy who did not know the Bundesliga, this is what ultimately led to him losing his job at Bayern Munich. Anyway, it's a, it's a very interesting story. 
um, that's over here. Again, it's at Fox Sports. I'm sure it's on Goal.com as well. There's also some tat about uh, Rumenega keeping his eye on MLS, which, uh, of course, we have to do anytime an international soccer figure is uh, is asked any questions by American press. They got to they gotta know. They got to find out what they think of MLS. All right. We'll wrap this up. It's been a good week here at Soccer Morning. Thank you very much for your support. As always, please go to backheel.com slash store, backheel.com in general, and then navigate to the store and buy a mug. It's got a pretty logo on it. It's the sun with a soccer ball in it, if you didn't figure that out. See? Anybody does, does anybody not get that, you think? <laughs> That's uh, excellent work from Dan over at 3NLFC.com, which is where you can go buy a T-shirt with that same logo, and it says Soccer Morning. It's fantastic. Get one of those for yourself as well, and then rep it out there in that soccer world and send us pictures. We love that. I love that. Follow the show on Twitter, at Soccer Morning, and please give us a, an iTunes rating and review. We are in iTunes. If you listen via podcast, or even if you don't, it helps us get new listeners, get our name out there a little bit more, which is uh, help make the show grow and get better. So do that at iTunes. Uh, ratings and comments help out. And uh, what else, Trevor? Am I missing anything? I'm always uh, running out of ideas on Friday. It's been a heck of a show. Yeah, go to dishworld.com as well. Sign up, ten bucks a month, get you access to some really cool stuff over there. Um, uh, wait, how, is that the price? I got to get the price uh, correct. But it gets you some access to some really cool stuff. One World Sports which has all of the Cosmos, New York Cosmos games. By the way, congratulations to the NASL. They're going to announce a deal with ESPN to get all of their games broadcast on ESPN3. So we will have digital access to all NASL games. That does not include the Cosmos games, however, because One World Sport has exclusive rights to Cosmos games. So if you want to watch Cosmos games, you need to go to DishWorld.com. DishWorld also has BN Sport, which you know has a plethora of soccer options. There's other stuff, Willow, the Cricket Channel, fantastic stuff beyond sports as well. Thanks a lot. Uh, thanks a lot to, to them for supporting the show, and please go check them out. All right, I'm out of here. I got a gotta get a weekend to do. We got a lot of games to watch starting this afternoon with those friendlies and qualifiers. Man, thanks a lot to John Arnold as well. We'll talk to you guys on Monday. Bye.